millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everything that has been said about him is true. He was a hired gun, a professional assassin. Basically, the jackal killed people for a living, and by all accounts, he seemed to enjoy it. Tullalish is a rural parish in the east of County Down. It's between Banbridge and Portadown. It's not often in the news nowadays, but it was badly affected during the Troubles. It has been described as a murder triangle. You know, the brazenness or the kind of the confidence that you can get away with something if a loyalist gang shoots up um, a pub on the high street in Lurgan and then drives straight from that, shoots a passerby as they're driving off after throwing a hand grenade into the pub. They drive straight to Banbridge, steal a car, and then drive up to Pat Campbell, this shop steward, this pillar of the community, and they shoot him dead on the doorstep. It suffered at the hands of notorious UVF killer Robin the Jackal Jackson, as well as the IRA. Robin the Jackal Jackson was a UDR soldier who was identified as the gunman, but he was never charged. They didn't even tell the family that the charges were being dropped. They found out from the local news. And Jackson went on to be the biggest serial killer probably in the North. To discuss Jackson and the troubles in Tullalish, I'm joined by two Martins. Martin Doyle from the Irish Times and Martin Breen from the Sunday Life. Martin Doyle has a book out, Dirty Linen. It examines the history of the Troubles through the lens of his home parish. Now, Martin Doyle, starting with you, you have a book out. Dirty Linen examines the history of the Troubles through the lens of Tullalish, once part of the Linen Triangle and an area blighted by paramilitary violence during the Troubles. I know where Tullalish is, but... Many people won't know where Tullalish is, Martin, and won't know anything about it. I, th- I think that's probably our starting point. Brilliant. Uh, Tullalish is a small parish in County Down near the border with County Armagh. It, it lies between the towns of Bambridge, Lurgan and Portadown. And yet within those few small rural kilometres, more than 20 people lost their lives during the conflict. Before we move on to those deaths, um because as you say, in terms of the population, it's an awful lot of people. But, um, you know, Guildford, Lawrencetown, I, I almost see them as, as as villages. I know they were once very separate from Banbridge, but they are sort of almost connected to Banbridge. They're very close to Banbridge. And when I hear the word, uh, the name Tullalish, I, I realise that perhaps not everybody uses that parish name. So when we're talking about, we're not really talking about w- one, er, there's a lot of variety, if you want to put it like that, in this one area. 
Absolutely. Like the book came out of an article I wrote about the murder of the O'Dowds in January 1976 in their remote farmhouse in Ballydugan, which is um, in the north of the parish. Um, at the end of that piece, I listed every other killing in the parish and then set out to tell the story of all of those victims and, and their families. Um, but I realised quite quickly that, you know, I thought by homing in on one parish, that would be, you know, everybody knows what a parish is. And therefore, I thought telling the story of the troubles in one parish would be kind of like a microcosm of, of the troubles um, generally throughout the north. Um, but yes, like so Lawrence Town would be a predominantly Catholic town about three, three miles from our village, three miles from Bambridge. Guildford is a couple of miles further along towards Portadown. Like the other thing that was interesting for me about the area was that it's rich linen heritage. So, and I kind of use the linen industry as a metaphor for the descent into communal violence of the Troubles because Guildford Linen Mill now lies derelict. It's this massive six story building. And its dereliction, I kind of compare to, say, the O'Dowd's farmhouse in Ballydugan, which is similarly derelict. It was abandoned by the family after three of their members were murdered and the family moved south. But also Alexander Christie uh, was a Quaker who introduced um, the production of vitriol to um, the Ban Valley. Now, Eamon Kearns, two of his sons were murdered 25 years or so after the O'Dowds, but just a couple of hundred yards down the road, possibly by the same people. Um, he says that Ian Paisley introduced vitriol into the local community when he came and preached hatred against Catholics to Ble in Bleary Orange Hall in 1967. So you can see these parallels that I'm kind of um, emphasising. My grandfather was put out of work as a Catholic in 1920, along with hundreds of Catholics along the River Ban because um, a man called Smith was murdered. He was head of the RIC in Munster, but he was from a linen family in Banbridge. And so his murder and other murders was used as an excuse to basically drive Catholics from the workforce along from the linen industry all along the, all along the Ban Valley. Um, and I link that to the murder of Pat Feeney. Um, I went to school with his brother, Michael. Pat was shot dead working as a night watchman in a linen factory in Donnacloney. So all of these little threads I kind of pulled together and try and t t tell a story that's unique to Tullalish. People were murdered, innocent people were murdered. Families were left to pick up the pieces. The, the wider community has moved on. But I would say, you know, we owe an awful lot to these people who feel left behind, who feel isolated, left with their grief. The prisoners are out of jail. You know, society moved on. But those wounds have never healed, often because they've been contaminated at every turn. Like the story of collusion and the Glenan gang is one of the threads in my book. I would say I'd emphasize straight off that it's not just the only thread, because I'm also writing about an RUC man who was murdered a TA soldier, part-time soldier, who was murdered, three Protestant civilians who were blown up in a pub in Guildford in 1975 on New Year's Eve, four days before the O'Dowds were murdered. And I would say it sticks in my mind particularly because if you Google Guildford pub bombing, what comes up and the only thing that comes up is the Guildford pub bombing, the notorious bombing in Surrey in England for which the Maguire 7 and the Guildford 4 were convicted. So here you have three innocent Protestant civilians who lost their lives on New Year's Eve in 1975. 
and even the Google algorithm erases them from history. I think that's a very powerful metaphor, if you like, for you know how little those deaths move the dial. They don't even register anymore in the historical record. And yet those victims all left families, loved ones behind, who are still grieving for their loss. You know, you mentioned 20 deaths in a few square miles, and I don't want to elevate anyone above anyone else. But something struck me there. You spoke about the murders of the Kearns family and the O'Dowds, and it did strike me. These both were carried out by the UVF, and they were 25 years apart, and yet you you, you mentioned that you thought they might be the same people. 25 years later, still at it. I mean, who do we know anything about this UVF unit which was operating in that area or any of the personalities involved? We know lots about it and it's very possible we may find out even more next year. Like the new Chief Constable of Northern Ireland, John Boucher, has spent the last five years working on two reports, one into State Knife, Freddie Scapatici, which is due out any day now. And the second one is into the activities of the Glenan Gang, which was a, a group of loyalist paramilitaries in collusion with members of the security forces, led by Robin Jackson, among others, the Jackal, as he was known. He crops up again and again as a chief suspect in many of these murders. The first murder of which um, he was accused, in fact, he was at one stage charged, was the murder of Pat Campbell. Um, so Pat, Pat Campbell had worked alongside Robin Jackson in, in Down Shoes. Um, Jackson was sacked for fighting uh, with another worker, a Catholic from the town, in 1970. He joined the UDR in 1973, and two months later he shot dead Pat Campbell on his own doorstep at 10 o'clock at night, an hour after he had carried out a gun attack on a pub in, in Lurgan, which was owned by Hugh News, an SDLP councillor at the time. So if you can imagine, you know, the brazenness or the kind of the confidence that you can get away with something if a loyalist gang shoots up um, a pub on the high street in Lurgan and then drives straight from that, shoots a passerby as they're driving off after throwing a hand grenade into the pub. They drive straight to Banbridge, steal a car and then drive up to Pat Campbell, this shop steward, this pillar of the community, and they shoot him dead on the doorstep. His wife identifies Robin Jackson, picked him out of an ID parade, and yet that wasn't sufficient for him to be charged with murder. Um, He was charged, but then they decided that the evidence wasn't strong enough and the charges were dropped. They didn't even tell the family that the charges were being dropped. They found out from the local news. And Jackson went on to be the biggest serial killer probably in the North. That's something I'd like to return to in this conversation, Martin. But I have another Martin in front of me, Martin Breen. He's the editor of The Sunday Life here in the Belfast Telegraph Group. Martin, you have a plethora of notes in front of you because you're going to give us a little more about Robin, the jackal, Jackson. Jackson is is suspected of killing at least 50 people. And when I say killing 50 people, I don't mean he was casually involved in these murders. We mean he killed 50 people. Yeah, the, the difference between Jackson and some of the other figures on, on, on both sides, um, Loyalist and Republican, was that he himself was personally involved in this, whether it was planting the bombs or whether it was pulling the trigger. Um, you know, He was 26 when he carried out his first murder, uh, that of Patrick Campbell. And 
It was almost 20 years to the day that he, he was linked to his last killings, which were the, the murders of 22-year-old Jared and 18-year-old Rory Kearns in Blairy County Down. Um, the HET, which was the historical inquiries team, um, which was set up um, uh, more than 10 years ago, it linked him to um, at least 50 killings, but others, uh, including the Pat Finucane Centre and one of his former colleagues in the UVF, John Weir, has linked him to over 100. Um, so it's hard to say exactly. Though what we know from the report into the Dublin and Monaghan bombings of 1974, Mr Justice Barron was told that Jackson himself collected the three bombs which detonated in Dublin from the farm of James Mitchell in Glenan, which was the centre of operations for the Glenan gang. Now at that time, Jackson was a poultry lorry driver, so he was able to hide the bombs in the lorry and then he drove them to Dublin where he personally handed them over to other UVF members in their cars to plant. Um, There are so many killings that he has been linked to, so many sectarian killings. He has been described as the most um, prolific killer um, throughout the whole Troubles. Um, One journalist described the jackal as the Lord High Executioner of the North's notorious murder triangle. Um, He's been described as a sectarian killer who was a psychopath with a visceral hatred of of Catholics. Um, Psychological warfare operative Major Colin Wallace. He spoke a number of years ago about Jackson. Um, Obviously, Wallace was operating during the 70s and 80s and would have been aware of a lot of military intelligence uh, whispers about Jackson and he said that everything that has been said about him is true. He was a hired gun, a professional assassin. Uh, He said he was responsible for more deaths in Northern Ireland than any other person he knew. Um, Basically the Jackal killed people for a living and by all accounts he seemed to enjoy it. And he got away with it because, um, you know, it's it's been established over the years he was a a special branch agent. And Martin Breen, Robin Jackson died a relatively young man. Jackson died by the time he was 50 from uh, cancer, reportedly. It was just eight days after voters in Northern Ireland and the Republic had voted to back the Good Friday Agreement. Um, you know, he was he was destined not, uh, uh, not to see uh, the future peaceful Northern Ireland. Martin, Martin Doyle, maybe I'm wrong here, but I don't associate Tullalish or Guildford or Lawrencetown as IRA heartlands. And maybe I'm wrong or maybe I'm up, maybe I could be corrected there. But why would the likes of the UVF and Robin Jackson concentrate much of their efforts in that area then? I think they were prominent in the Mid-Ulster area. There's no dispute about that. Like Portadown and Lurgan had strong um, loyalist paramilitary bases. First of all, I'd like to sort of, um, you know, back up um, what Martin just said there, like, um, Colin Wallace going right back to June 74. Colin Wallace has co- contempor- contemporaneous notes. He was then a British Army military intelligence officer and he sent a list of loyalists his unit wished, wished to target to um, British Army HQ in Lisburn, asking which of them were already working for military intelligence. And next to Jackson's name, Wallace's handwritten note states, Robin Jackson was charged with the murder of Patrick Campbell in October last year. Charges were dropped following RUC SB, i.e. Special Branch intervention. Um, Jackson should have been in custody even before um, he shot Pat Campbell dead because he'd already been named um, by a guy arrested with a, with a hall of arms and ammunition as the man who had forced him to hold those weapons. This had happened, there'd been a huge raid on the 23rd um, of October, 
1973 on a, um, a UDR, a local UDR um, armory. And in the follow-up searches, this guy had been arrested. They'd find all these weapons. And yet, even though Jackson, a serving UDR man, had been named as the person ultimately responsible, and the police didn't arrest him. They didn't arrest him until several days after Pat Campbell's murder, instead of arresting him immediately. You've got to ask why. Similarly, before the Naomi Shoban massacre, in which he was implicated, he had been arrested a few days earlier, very close to the scene, along with two other men, one of whom was convicted of the Miami Shoban massacre um, with shotguns. Again, not arrested, not charged, left at liberty to carry out another atrocity. Um, there's or you see people or you see officers complained um, that when you know they were trying to when they were interrogating um, Jackson after the Miami Shoban massacre, and um, he told them that two senior or you see colleagues had advised him to make himself scarce to get get away up the country because there people are the police were going to be after him, and yet. Um, the, the RUC officers interrogating him um, made a, an official complaint, and yet nothing was ha- nothing was done to those two senior officers. Um, Jackson's fingerprint was found on on the silencer um, of a Luger pistol, which was used in in the Miami massacre, and it was mistakenly written down that the um, in the forensic report that it had been found on some. Um, tape that had been adhesive tape wrapped around the silencer and so when Jackson was arrested he had a ready-made excuse for why his fingerprint was on this tape even though his fingerprint wasn't on the tape his fingerprint was on the silencer itself so you have all of this evidence piling up over the years um, of this of this um, serial killer being protected by the police who were supposed to be serving and protecting the public. Martin Brain, before I move on, whenever we discuss the likes of Robin Jackson on this podcast, I always think, I have to think of people who are overseas and I have to think of younger listeners and I have to think of some people maybe less involved in the stories of the troubles and stuff because let's, let's stop and just say aloud what we're saying here. This notorious serial killer, this man who was killing Catholics for 25 years, he seemed to have the protection of the security forces. Some might say he was some sort of asset or agent. But what what is 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 that the case and what does that actually mean? Basically he had a license to kill. He felt comfortable in that he would he would escape prosecution no matter what he did. Um and he took anybody that stood in his way basically out of the equation. The reason that he became leader of the Mid-Ulster UVF in 1975 was because he personally shot the then commander Billy Hanna in Lurgan, um, believing he had passed information on the Dublin bombings and could actually jeopardise the Miami Shoban massacre in which three members of the band were killed and two UVF members um, who were also in the UDR. He targeted a Sunday World journalist, Jim Campbell, because Jim had been exposing a lot of the things that the Jackal had been doing. So Jackson got other members of the UVF in Belfast to shoot Campbell, um, who fortunately survived. Um, 1977, he learned that uh, a Catholic RUC sergeant in Cushendall, Joe Campbell, had uh, uh, uncovered a loyalist arms smuggling operation. He had him murdered. Um, there was another uh, relative who he believes had been passing information to police about the Miami Show Band attack. He had him shot dead. Uh, 
Jackson felt that he was unstoppable and he, he was willing to go to any lengths to um, protect himself and to protect the murder machine he was running. Back to you, Martin Doyle. You, you described that the Catholic minority community in, in Tullish were, were terrorised. And I do I do think we have to mention that, of course, um, the IRA killed people in this area as well, members of security forces. And, and I'm always struck by the, the death of Alan McCrum, who was a lo- young boy blown up by an IRA bomb who was only 11 years of age. So we can't take that away. But I mean, what, what did all of this, what effect did all of this have on community relations in the area? So, you know, this was this was a rural area where Catholics and Protestants lived alongside each other, worked alongside each other. Um, I was talking to somebody else from from the village and he said that a community policeman serving Tullalish used to drink in, in laveries. The pub outside Lawrencetown is closed now, but it was owned by Paddy McFlynn, who was president of the GEA at the time of the hunger strikes. And yet he felt this, you know, local RUC man felt comfortable drinking in a in a largely Catholic pub, like, you know. So this there's a lot of trust and there's a lot of, you know, mutual respect. I think uh, Tullalish was a place that didn't harbour paramilitaries. Tullalish was a place where paramilitaries descended on and kind of carried out their attacks. It was largely a community where people got on well. Um, there were problems, but people did kind of more or less get along. And that continued despite, um, like, you know, my mum had a, a shop in, in Bambridge and she said that, you know, some of her best customers were, you know, were Protestants, were free Presbyterians, whatever. Um, it made no distinction. Martin Breen, you're a Fermanagh man. It's very, very much west of the ban. Do you recognise Tullalish? Yes, it's similar to area I grew up in, you know, uh, and, you know, at the, at the start of this podcast, we spoke about you know, the fact that some people from Belfast or, or, or from a city would think, you know, 20 murders, but so many more have been killed on the streets of Belfast or whatever. Um, but in an area like that, um, you know, if a local family is almost wiped out, like, you know, so many were and that, you know, from the O'Dowds, the Kearns, um, it has such a huge effect that, you know, it feels like the entire community is being attacked. And the sense of community there, um, it, you know, to live through that, you know, it, it's madness when you look back at what Tully Lish and what so many other small communities, you know, here lived, had, had to endure on both sides. Killings here were once so common, the area became known as the Murder Triangle. Martin, can I turn to your book? Uh, because your book, there, there are other aspects of the story, which, I, which I'm very interested in, in, in the book. And one of the things is you mentioned um, Tullalish is a mixed area, um, but the Catholic nationalist community are, are are minority there. Do you think that the perceptions, the overall perceptions of the Catholic nationalist community in an area such as Tullalish differ perhaps um, from areas maybe further south in County Down where the Catholic nationalist community is is the vast majority of the community. I think so. Like, it's funny, like, you know, like the book is very much about the the troubles, you know, the, the contemporary, the m- most recent troubles. But I do refer back to uh, the troubles around partition, the War of Independence. And I quote um, a man from Banbridge, Jim Monaghan, who was leader of the, um, the, the IRA in the area, the old IRA, if you like. Um, and he was the man responsible for burning down the RIC station in Lawrencetown. I didn't even know Lawrencetown had an RIC station until, 
you know, I started looking into the local history. But one of the things that um, this man Monaghan complained about was the fact that Catholics in that part of, of the North were... You know, they were not very militant, um, I think, because, you know, they were very conscious of the fact that they were they were, they were um, very much in the minority locally and therefore were maybe vulnerable to to attack. And that was often the case. Like that's I think um, at a wider level, the you know, the north was relatively quiet compared to the rest of the country during the War of Independence uh, from Britain. Um, and that was for the very good reason that they were significantly um, outnumbered and therefore, you know, very vulnerable to, you know, to viol- violent reprisal from from loyalists. But um, in terms of politically, you could certainly say like the O'Dowds were members um, of the SDLP. Uh, so they were moderates. The local councillor all all the time that I lived in Lawrencetown was Laurie McCartan, who was an independent. Um, so serving both sides of the community, if you like. Um, now, I guess, like, so the SDLP were the were the dominant force in, in local politics, if you like, um, in the Catholic community. And there has been a shift, um, as there has been across the north. Um, the Sinn Féin is now the 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 dominant um, representative of the community. Um, John O'Dowd, for example, um, is the local MLA. He was uh, so he was a relative of um, of the O'Dowds who were murdered, um, and he was a education minister in the Stormont Assembly. So I think that's representative, maybe of a. A radicalization maybe of people who have been traumatized by by violence um but maybe also you know change times you know Sinn Féin didn't become the dominant party until long after um, the ceasefires and the Good Friday Agreement and there's I think maybe an element of communities tend to sort of rally around the you know the stronger party and once it was perceived that they that Sinn Féin were the dominant party on the nationalist side. They kind of went from strength to strength. That's not to, you know, you, you just can't equate that with support for the armed violence of, of the IRA. I lived through it and there's almost no evidence um, of support for, for the violent actions of, of Republicans during the conflict itself. Martin Doyle, Martin Breen, thank you very much. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish independent. Terms and conditions apply.